I've got my favourite sexologist. I've got Britain's number one reason to wear shorts. And welcome to Date Fight It, the podcast where we take great moments from history and pitch them against each other. He's Jake Cap, I'm Nat Tapley, and we will be taking two bull elephants from the zoo of history and making them perform tricks for you in the circus of your mind. It's exactly like he said. Let's have round one. Round one! I am going to take you back to the 4th of January, 1912. Oh, when the Scout Association was incorporated under Royal Charter. Lord Baden-Powell had been on about scouting for quite some time before that, starting the organisation in 1908, writing his book, Scouting for Boys. Baden-Powell was also an admirer of Mussolini, but we don't like to mention that. There's an entry in Baden-Powell's diary from (laughs) 1939, which says as follows. Lay up all day. Red mine camp. A wonderful book with good ideas on education, health, propaganda, organisation, etc. (laughs) And the youth organisation that that man started was incorporated on the 4th of January 1912. Currently, Chief Scout is Bear Grylls, who I'm not suggesting shares the views of the founder of the organisation. Early medals had swastikas on, probably because that was the symbol that Rudyard Kipling used on the cover of his books. Um... Probably because of that. But again, 1939, Lay Up All Day, Red Mind Camp, a wonderful book with good ideas on education, health, propaganda, organisation, etc. Ironically, the Scouts... Are you serious? Yeah, that's absolutely a quotation from his diaries. Ironically, the uh, Scouts were banned from uh, Nazi Germany as being a competitor organisation to the Hitler Youth. So if you've made something that's a bit too close to the Hitler Youth... Maybe don't be that proud of it. Mm. Anyway, that's my thing <laughs> for 1912, 4th of January. Of course, wow. there's nothing wrong with being scouts. <clears throat> I have a friend who's working with the scouts. Oh, no. Quite high up. So okay. I'm I'm reluctant to, I mean, okay. let's, let's, you know, lots of, lots of uh, institutions have, have come a long way from their origins. Of, yes, of they? course they have. Yes. And uh, for example, uh, 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 Halliburton. Halliburton. Yeah. So, <laughs> so happy and, birthday to the scouts. And Nestle. Because to begin with, they were just chocolate. They were hardly involved in the baby milk to the third world industry at all. Happy times. Good days. <laughs> well, I tell you what. Why don't I try and uh, flip this mm. and find a story that sort of follows a somewhat inverse curve and tell you that on the 4th of January 1884 mm-hmm. in London the Fabian Society was founded. Oh. Now this was an offshoot of a society founded a year earlier which was called the Fellowship of the New Life mm. which all sounds very kind of Tolkien or yeah. uh, C.S. Lewis or something and uh, the idea was that they wanted social progress as socialism, basically, but but not through revolution. The idea was that it was it was going to be done socialism by moderate means without upsetting too many people too much. We want radical social change, basically quietly. I mean, on the sly. <laughs> so John Perdue, 
he wrote the logo of the Fabian Society, mm-hmm. a tortoise, oh. represented the group's predilection for a slow, imperceptible transition to socialism, while its coat of arms, a wolf in sheep's clothing, <laughs> represented its preferred methodology for achieving its goal. <laughs> <laughs> and a bit later on, they were like, maybe we should drop the wolf in sheep's clothing yeah. bit. Maybe we should drop that. Nowadays, they're more of a kind of a think tank and uh, not not quite so uh, wolf in sheep's weirdly clothing. cloak and daggery sneaky about it. So it was named the Fabian Society in order of the Roman general Quintus Fabius Maximus Verucosus, mm. uh, who was nicknamed the Cunctator. Meaning the delayer. <laughs> I'm sure it does. I, I think you can get you can get a spray called Cunctator. <laughs> anyway, my favourite part of all of this was that one of the founding members was a guy called Henry Havelock Ellis, mm. known as Havelock Ellis, and I decided to have a look. And he uh, was an interesting figure. He wrote the first ever objective study of homosexuality. Mm. He did not characterise it as being a disease or immoral or a crime. It was quite groundbreaking at the time and it was kind of, in a way, quite progressive. And he studied things like transgender and kind of shone quite a light on all of this stuff. Mm. It sort of gets worse. He <laughs> married uh, an English writer called Edith Lees, who was a great proponent of women's rights. Uh, this was at the age of 32. And uh, it was a somewhat unconventional uh, marriage. He was uh, pretty much known to be uh, a virgin when he got married. And she was very openly a lesbian. Um and straight after the honeymoon, he went back to his bachelor rooms in Paddington. <laughs> and it was all a bit messed up and weird. And so he became this expert on sexuality and and, and stuff. He doesn't and, sound like an expert. And, well, no. And his, his friends all said, yeah, but we know for a fact he was impotent until he was 60. <laughs> wow. uh, and then he later discovered that he could become aroused by the sight of a woman micturating. Oh, so far, so so, so 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 laughable, and and you know perhaps one could say how progressive you know uh, in terms of writing about homosexuality in a very sort of uh, neutral and and an open way and and transgender issues. Yeah. Um. But he was very heavily into eugenics, and they all were. This is a thing. Everyone was they into all eugenics. All were. Marie Stopes, who we yeah. hailed today, go, oh, wasn't she this brilliant scion of birth control and women's rights over their own reproductive system? Also heavily into eugenics. The reason she wanted women to be able to choose whether or not to have children was so that she could breed the Irish out of the population. Yes. So uh, what's um, quite chilling about it is he, he was sort of saying, I'm not, I'm not saying I want people <laughs> that I don't think should be allowed to reproduce to be forcibly sterilised. No, no, no. That would make me a monster. All I'm saying is maybe give them an incentive. Maybe, I don't know, withdraw their benefits until they agree to it. Oh, wow. Which, yeah. But let's, I'll I'll leave you on a slightly lighter note. In his 1905 book, Sexual Selection in Man, Havelock said uh, that he believes that people Mm. are often delighted by people's odours, particularly in the East, particularly in India. Right. Uh, he says oh. uh, that uh, smell is a big part of, of attraction and, and all the business uh, in what mm. he says, quote, Hebrew and Mohammedan lands. 
And he then goes on to describe right. the distinct odours of various races, noting that the oh. Japanese race has the least intense of bodily odours. How do you work that out? Oh. Excuse me, would you mind if I were to sniff your crotch for medical science? <laughs> you what? I, I, I'm doing a... Uh, I'm doing an investigation, and I'd very much like to... Uh, could I? He does uh, seem uh, to be... Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I think we've we've learned definitely doing this podcast that late Victorian mm. men could find ways of being creepy and weird that people in other centuries wouldn't even have begun to consider, <laughs> and have like dressed them up as science. Yeah. So, all I am doing is being a free thinker about the idea: should one have sex with my dog? <laughs> and I've discovered the answer was no, but I did it after repeated experimentation. <laughs> So, yeah. And, and yeah, there was a lot about him that was very, very dodgy. There was a lot of kind of false equation between uh, homosexuality and paedophilia. He was basically an awful, terrible right. s- s- pile of muck. And it's great that he's all done. Hooray! <laughs> Hooray! Hooray for now and not then. Hooray that we're not in late Victorian England. Happy birthday to Louis Braille, who came up with the dot language so that blind people can read. Also, happy birthday to Doris Kearns Goodwin, the American historian whose team of rivals was famously read by Barack Obama. And happy birthday to Craig Revel Horwood, oh. who is on a television programme, I understand. Uh, yes. I've got, I've got an idea, though. I've got an idea. I've got an idea for a sitcom. Mm-hmm which has all of the strictly judges and they are reincarnated or they say they go to heaven yeah. and they come back at the age that they least often score <laughs> <laughs> so craig rebel Horwood is 10 and all the rest are like one and it's just a 10 year old herding baby i don't see many opportunities for plot in this sitcom I think this is a great idea the one where the gang poo themselves apart from Craig who's too old to do that now so he looks disdainfully at me <laughs> yeah right I'll picture it happy death, happy death day to Phil Linnott the thin Lizzie frontman who married Leslie Crowther's daughter also happy death day to Joan Aiken the writer of children's books which included the wolves of Willoughby Chase in which the wolves all invaded our country by coming through the channel tunnel also, happy death day to, this is a second time appearance on this podcast, to Topsy the Elephant. She was killed in the film Elephant Being Electrocuted, sorry, Electrocuting an Elephant by Thomas Alva Edison in a kinetopia kinematograph. She was 28 years old at the time. When she was toured as a baby, she was advertised as the first elephant born in the US until P.T. Barnum found out that was a lie and made them stop claiming that. And if P.T. Barnum finds out you're a bigger liar than he is, you are a big, um, big liar. I'm sorry. Uh, wh- in was that the first 19- ever snuff sorry. movie? Uh, <laughs> as far as we know, I think. Although I imagine probably Havelock Ellis was somewhere Sniffing killing it. his yeah, cats yeah, yeah. and filming that in the late 1890s. Uh, she killed Topsy the Elephant's killed a spectator in 1902 but in Topsy's defence the spectator was burning the end of her trunk with his cigar so the fact that she then knelt on him until he died seems utterly fair she was then known as the man killing elephant but when she came off 
uh, one of the characters she's being transported to in New York, someone decided to try and tickle her behind the ear with a long thing because she was such a dangerous elephant, at which point she hurled him up in the air. And the circus decided they could no longer have such a dangerous elephant. And so they wanted to hang her, but the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals prevented them having a public hanging of an elephant, at which point they did the electrocution, which was filmed by Edison and is probably the most famous film about electrocuting an elephant. Anyway, that's Topsy. Happy death day to her. And may she have stamped on many for many more weird late Victorian people. I think we should do a new series of what the Victorians did for us that, that kind of puts a slightly different slant on it all. <laughs> yes, rather than saying, oh, look, they built this amazing suspension bridge, we could say, look, they also bought... Well, it was legal to hire underage prostitutes until... 18, the 1870s oh. or 1880s I think it was late 1880s they took a big campaign by the newspapers to suggest that actually buying children for sex might should be illegal leave means leave mate <laughs> round two it's the 4th of January 1972 and Rose Heilbronn has become the first female judge to sit at the Old Bailey in London uh, so she had quite an astonishing career uh, she was junior counsel for a West Indian cricketer called Leary Constantine, uh, where he was turned away from a hotel due to his colour. That was the case, Constantine versus Imperial Hotels. Mm. I mean, Imperial Hotels are not going to be... Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's in the name. And then in 1946, she represented two boys who were injured in a minefield on the beach between Crosby and Southport. And... Then she did lots of murder trials and she was the youngest Casey since Thomas Erskine in 1783 when she was aged 34. And she became famous. Like she wasn't, this isn't just sort of in Dusty Almanacs. She was, she was a household name and she was the first woman ever to lead in a murder case in 1949. She defended a gangster called George Kelly. Uh, who had been accused of shooting dead the deputy manager of the Cameo Cinema in Liverpool. And uh, he said, the guy that she was defending said, uh, I'm not having a Judy defend me. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, it was good. Uh, but he later praised her for her painstaking defence. And she became Daily Mirror's Woman of the Year off the back of that. I mean... I can't imagine that that was a very edifying competition. No. The Daily Mirror's Lady of the Year. I mean, George Kelly did actually then go to the gallows and hang. Oh, right. But to the consolation of no one at all, uh, the Court of Appeal quashed his conviction as unsafe in 2003. Oh, just in time. Just just 54 years later. <laughs> so she had this uh, extraordinary uh, career in law. Yeah. And she became the first woman to sit as a commissioner of assize, and then she was the first female judge in the county court in 1962 and in the high court in 65, and then made it to be the first female judge to sit at the Old Bailey on the 4th of January 1972. Quite a life. That's amazing. I feel like... She's brilliant. That's there's, a... got to be, there's got to be a biopic in that, right? Yeah, definitely. If Ruth Bader Ginsburg gets one, definitely. I feel like it would be a CNN one. It would be one of their Sunday night specials. Right. 9pm Eastern. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. I'm going to take you back to the 4th of January 1936, when Billboard published their first pop music hit parade. Yes! Now, at the time, they weren't talking about specific recordings, they were just talking about the tunes themselves. So, because 
popular tunes were recorded by many people, um, so they weren't actually references to specific recordings. On the Billboard Hit Parade on the 4th of January 1936 were such hits as Lazy-Eyed Susan, (laughs) Crazy Jungle Rhythms Part 3. What? Oh no, Joe, not in that hat. (laughs) Parsley Wine is the Sweetest. And here come the hot stepper. You made those. Those are made up. Tell me they're made up. (laughs) I did. I couldn't find out. Thank God for that. What any of the real ones were? They were so borderline (laughs) plausible. Some of those. (laughs) (laughs) I quite liked parsley wine. Is the sweetest. That's that's beautiful. I think you should write that. I will do. I'll get a tune by Havelock Ellis. (laughs) Which is the? Oh no, he wasn't there. What was the? Traditional. I found it out. I went amongst the poor people in the countryside to find their local folk tunes and also to do terrible things to them. All in the I'm night. saying is if you don't make it into the top ten, perhaps you should think about getting sterilized. <laughs> <laughs> and on that <laughs> That was the full yeah. January. Happy days, guys. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another date yeah, fight. Really motoring through 2020. Why don't you join us for that? Please come back. Yeah, please come back. We'll be happier tomorrow. <laughs> I like that we descended in 60 shows down to it. Oh, please, please, please come back. Please. Please come back. <laughs> please. Come back. please. Uh, I'll sterilise myself. Whatever it takes. See you tomorrow. Bye.